Welcome to episode 202 of the MCU Fan Show. My name is Sean Gerber. In a moment, I'll be joined by Paul Herman for an episode in which we'll be kicking it old school a little bit, talking about news, which we don't get to do as much of these days, but there's plenty of news to discuss from this week, including Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings getting a 45-day exclusive theatrical run, potential challenges for Shang-Chi and Eternals being released in China, Kevin Feige's future in Star Wars, or lack thereof, and what if we see What If in August on Disney+, Plus, and then over on the Patreon with our exclusive Patreon credit scene corresponding with this episode 202 of MCU Fan Show, we are going to be talking about the first trailer for Venom Let There Be Carnage. That exclusive podcast and plenty more exclusive podcasts are available at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber. That's S-E-A-N-G-E-R-B-E-R, or just hit the link in our show notes. And then make sure you're following us in all those places you can. We are at MCU Fan Show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you are enjoying the podcast, we would greatly appreciate a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much to those of you who've done that already. And now, on with our show. How's it going, Paul Herman? Well, it is going well. It's a nice, bright, sunny day in, here in Washington. And uh, yeah, I'm ready to talk some Marvel. Marvel Marvel News. An old school episode, sir. It really is. I mean, we used to be called Marvel Studios News, and then mm-hmm. there wasn't really a whole lot of news. We figured we would just rather fan out with all the spoiler reviews for all the Disney nice. Plus shows we were getting. And we've had to focus more on news in Patreon credit scenes, but... We don't have a Disney Plus series until June 9th, and we don't have any movies between now and then, so you probably will hear us talk about the news a little bit more on the podcast for the next several weeks, provided there is news for us to discuss, and there just so happens to be this week. It's really more on the business side for the news that we're getting this week. It's not like a whole lot of new casting, a lot of great Knives Out casting, Knives Out 2, sorry, Paul, uh, casting for Netflix, including Katherine Hahn of WandaV- of recently of WandaVision fame, obviously of fame from many other things, but uh, excited for her and excited for the Knives Out sequel. But we don't really have casting news for Marvel this week, but we do have some business type stuff. So it's still Marvel. We don't have to put on the suit and tie, but like Kevin Feige, you got to put on the sport coat with your jeans uh, to go ahead and cover everything that we have to cover for this episode. We are going to start with the first Marvel movie that will be released exclusively in theaters since Spider-Man Far From Home in July of 2019. That is going to be Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings on September 3rd, because we know we're getting Black Widow in July, but that is going to be a day and date release in theaters and on Disney+. Plus. It will not be exclusively in theaters. Black Widow won't be but Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings will be exclusive in theaters for 45 days. And this was announced during the quarterly investor call earlier this week by Disney CEO Bob Chapek, and he outlined the three basic strategies that Disney has for releasing movies for the time being. The first is day and date. That's a simultaneous release with a movie in theaters and then on the same day on Disney Plus with Premier Access. So examples of that include Cruella later this month, Black Widow on July 9th. It also includes Jungle Cruise they announced this week on July 30th, 
But and then there's also the other the second strategy of the three is just a Disney Plus exclusive release. We saw them do that with Pixar's Soul back in December. They're doing that again in June with the with another Pixar film, Luca. And the third strategy is a more traditional exclusive theatrical release. And Bob Chapek limited that to just two movies. So there's nothing that's been announced as here's what we're doing for everything going forward. Everything going forward is going to fit into one of these three strategies. And as far as exclusive theatrical releases go, that will include Free Guy in August and then Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings on September 3rd. Those films will eventually end up on Disney's direct-to-consumer platforms. But specifically with Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings, it wasn't clear that it would go directly to Disney Plus after that 45-day window. But I'm guessing it probably will because we know that Paramount Plus is going to be doing that with their major releases. Paramount will release movies like Top Gun, the next Mission Impossible films, and then 45, day, 45 days later, it will be on their mainstreaming platform, Paramount+. Plus. I'm guessing Disney will do that with Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings. They won't necessarily be able to do that for something like Free Guy, because Free Guy is in a film they inherited from Fox, and so it's bound by licensing deals that Fox had already made. So that's not subject to it, but the Disney, the traditional Disney releases, of which the Marvel Studios movies are part, those will go to Disney+. Plus. So in looking at this 45-day exclusive theatrical window for Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings, it actually means that Shang-Chi is the first non-Fox movie to get an exclusive theatrical run from Disney since the start of the pandemic, since I guess it would have been Disney Pixar's Onward in, what was that, March of 2020? So Shang-Chi will be first because every other Disney movie since then has either been direct to Disney Plus or on Disney Plus in theaters on the same day with Premiere Access. And what does a 45-day theatrical window look like? Well, it cuts the more traditional theatrical window in half. It was typically 90 days, although really if you count digital sales, more like 75-ish days. Well, now it's just 45, so that's six full weeks plus a seventh weekend. So if you count September 3rd as day one, of Shang-Chi's 45-day run in theaters, then that means it's eligible to go to direct-to-consumer on Monday, October 18th. If you count September 2nd, which would be opening night, then that would be Sunday, October 17th. I don't think we get to count uh, Thursday opening night screening, September 2nd. I think it goes by the official release date, most likely. So September 3rd is day one, meaning day 45 is Sunday, October 17th, which means Disney can start putting it elsewhere on Monday, October 18th. So that's really what this means as far as where, when you can expect to see the movie and where you can expect to see it. And so as far as the news of this 45-day theatrical run, I don't really think it's that surprising. I don't, I'm sure that all along that Disney was going to try and do an exclusive theatrical run again. I know lately we've seen a lot of the Premier Access stuff and wondered if, if this is what Disney is going to do all the time going forward. And I don't think Disney can commit to that unless they know what all of their options are. And you can't know what works best unless you try some different things. Because all we've really known coming out of the pandemic, Paul, was that things were going to change. What shape they were going to take, we didn't know. And we still don't know. We just know that Disney and other studios are going to try different things to figure out what works in this new marketplace. And the only thing that we know for sure, as we've known the whole time, is that, yeah, the 90-day theatrical window, 
that's gone. Nobody's going for no studio is attempting that at all right now. And uh, Disney, of course, is not going to try and be the only studio trying to hold on to the 90 day window. So I'll talk more about how I feel specifically about 45 days as a window. But the news isn't really that surprising. And I think it's what Disney probably needs to do at this point to try and figure out what's going to be the right way to maximize our return on these movies and an exclusive theatrical window, if that's still viable, and then it could be a very, it it could be a really valuable part of that equation for them, but they can't know that until they try and they're going to try in September. Well, it's crazy because we don't like, we all knew things were going to be different after, after the pandemic was, was getting better. And as we see in the United States anyway, um, the, the pandemic is, 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 is getting a lot better. I don't want to say anything other than that, the jinx it. I'm weird like that. But regardless, we're starting to come out of things a little bit finally. And now they've, they've already been committed to this whole idea of, of the, you know, putting things to Disney plus and, 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 and all that. And also the fact that theaters have been closed and no one's going to theaters right now. And they, no one knows what that is. Will they come back? Will they not come back? Will it be? And, and I, I do think it's, it makes sense that they're trying, they're going to throw everything at the window, but you know, or at the window, at the wall, see what sticks or see what's viable and what it, and basically just te- they're testing everyone, everything to an extent to where, okay, if this many people go see a Marvel film in 45 days and, and this is our return for this, but then it also maximizes subscribers for Disney plus after 45 days, you know, or for the, or for the premium or whatever it's going to be, et cetera, et cetera. What, what does that mean? What is that? So it's, for me, it's, I I don't blame them. And I'm, I am so fascinated with what exactly is going to be the outcome because, because I don't think anyone has any idea what it's going to be. I, I do think that they, it needs to be longer than just a couple months. We can't look at Black Widow or Shang-Chi for better or for worse, if this is what the outcome is going forward, it's going to take a good year to like really see after the pandemic is, you know, quote unquote, officially done, or at least for people to feel comfortable to going out. And basically, you know, let's say this, Sean, when like sporting events can actually fill up again, that's when I think, you know, things will be probably to the point where they're semi back to the new normal, if you will. Mm-hmm. And so, when that happens, that's when I think theaters will have a better idea. Like, how are people, are they done with the theater now? I don't know. It doesn't seem like it, but we'll see. Um, but it's going to be, a, it's going to be a while. And obviously Marvel and Disney want people to go to the movies. Everyone, want, you know, these theaters and, or theaters, uh, these companies want people, people to go back to the theater and, and all that, but will it happen? And so for me, I think that, I think it will, but it's just a matter of, and again, it's interesting. Everyone's trying their own take on it and yeah. no one, and, and that's, what's really fascinating to me because look at you know, Warner brothers, right? Like they're having like, they're having, you know, exclusive theaters and things like that. I think if I'm a betting man and I'm not, but if I was, I probably would bet on more of the w, WB model because I think that if you make it more limited, to wh- where you can go, it makes it a more of a destination, especially if it's a 45 day window or, or whatever. Um, it'll make it more exciting. There, we'll see. We'll see. I, I personally think that there's going to be, I I'm hoping 
I'm also hoping to the, the 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 movie runs are longer than 45 days. That's just my opinion. I I want it to be because I want movies to have a validity to it and to have some kind of life after the pandemic. I think 45 days is a pretty long window. It's, it is. I was it's thinking more. 90, isn't it 90 usually? It is, but I think 90 okay. days is toast. I don't think there's gotcha. any way to really get back to that. And 45 okay. days, I said, that's six weeks and then seven full weekends. That's a lot. I mean, think yeah. about where a movie's box office is after its seventh weekend. And then how much higher does it really go from there? Not very much. It's done most of the damage it's going to do at the box office well in advance of that seventh weekend. So a lot of movies, by the time you get past weekend number seven, that's when they start hitting up the dollar theaters and places like that. I mean, certainly for some of the biggest movies, which include Marvel movies, then they can still make some money, but they've made the vast majority of the money that they are going to make at the box office. And I think that the window that I've been looking at is more of essentially a month, so like a 31-day window, which would give you four full weeks plus a fifth weekend. I think that could potentially work, but I also understand why 45 days is maybe long enough to where if you say it's just a month, then and people will watch it on Disney+, Plus, presumably for no extra cost. They didn't talk about this on the investor call, but when it's not day and date with Disney+, Plus and Premier Access, I don't think there's going to be a fee. If it's exclusive in theaters for several weeks and then it goes to Disney+, Plus, I don't think you have to spend any additional money. I think it'll just be on Disney+. Plus. So with that in mind, if the exclusive theatrical run is only a month, and people are thinking about, do I want to go to the theater to see this or do I just wait? I can wait a month and not spend any extra money and just watch it on Disney Plus for the general consumer, not like the diehard MCU fan who has to be there right away the first chance they get to see the latest installment to see the brand new movie. So 45 days, pushing it out a couple more weeks uh, in addition to beyond a full month kind of makes sense to where people... People who might be inclined to to consider waiting to say, nah, that's too long. I want to go ahead and I want to go see the movie in theaters. So I think 45 days sounds about right. It wouldn't shock me, though, if eventually the theatrical window is shortened. But that point you made about every studio doing things differently is a reflection of nobody knowing what to do at this yeah. stage and everybody just having to gather information about what works. So we know what Warner is doing day and date with their movies on HBO in theaters and on HBO Max for no additional cost. We know that Universal has their thing with theater chains like AMC, where it's 17 days in theaters or at least 17 days in theaters could be longer, depending on the film. And then it can go to premium video on demand and theaters get a cut of that revenue. And then, as I mentioned before, Paramount has announced for their big movies exclusively in theaters and then 45 days later that's so disney didn't create the 45 day window paramount had already announced that for their platform big movies exclusively in theaters for 45 days and then they can go over to or at least 45 days and then they can go over to paramount plus and i think in a copycat industry as the entertainment world often is once somebody establishes that something works that's what we'll then we'll start to see these companies conform to one idea of, or one strategy that's going to work best assuming that somebody can find one strategy that's going to work best but the other uh, really good point you made there though is that 
because this has been one of my challenges with a lot of the coverage about this stuff is there's always some idea of trying to create a narrative where we now know what's happening and we know what the market's going to be. And we're just not going to know that. We're just not going to know what this situation really is probably for another year or at least not until maybe the end of the year. So we have to be patient in seeing how these things evolve and as far as the way it's going to work out. Because if we look at what Disney's doing, it's not like Bob Chapek said, beginning with Free Guy and Shang-Chi, our big movies will now have 45-day exclusive theatrical windows. That's not what he said. He said it was just for those two movies, while also reiterating that they have three different strategies, including day and date, with Disney Plus and Premier Access. So I think what Disney's probably going to do, because Chapek in a previous interview a couple months back mentioned how they want to make sure that their Disney Plus offerings aren't cutting off a theatrical run at the knees. Essentially, they don't want Disney Plus ruining what could be a more lucrative theatrical run. So this is where you are gathering data. And Disney has a really good opportunity here with two Marvel films, with Black Widow in July, and then Shang-Chi just a couple months after, where they can see Black Widow with no exclusive theatrical run, so it's just in theaters and on Disney+. Plus. How does it perform at the box office when it's available on Disney+, Plus uh, with Premier Access for $29.99, compared to how does Shang-Chi perform when it's exclusively in theaters? It doesn't have to compete with Disney+, Plus at home. It's just in theaters. And if they see that Shang-Chi has a much higher box office run than Black Widow. And not only just, and I, I say much higher because not only does it have to be more than what Black Widow makes in theaters, but more than what Black Widow makes in theaters and with the premier access revenue from Disney+. Plus. So if Shang-Chi proves to be a better moneymaker with an exclusive theatrical window, then that's what Disney is going to do going forward is they will stick with that, the 45-day exclusive theatrical window. If, however... Shang-Chi, the box office on Shang-Chi isn't significantly increased over how Black Widow performs, and it doesn't seem to matter whether a movie is exclusive in theaters or not, it's going to perform about the same, then Disney will say, well, if it doesn't matter, if streaming, if streaming availability doesn't hurt the box office, it's just another revenue source while a movie is in theaters, then let's go ahead and let's do that and let's maximize our total revenue by having it in theaters and on Disney Plus with Premier Access at the same time. Those are the types of scenarios that they're trying to see and, and see how it will play out, which is going to guide their decision-making going forward. And I, I think they'll have a, a pretty good opportunity with Black Widow. I know you could say that the market will already be different in September than it's going to be in July, and that's probably true, but I, I think the comparisons are close enough for Disney to be able to learn something. It doesn't mean they draw definitive conclusions from it. They might gather more data from it. They might try 45 days again with Eternals, and they might go back to Disney Plus uh, Premier Access with day and date in theaters. They're going to go, They might. we might see them go back and forth on these things to collect more data in order to see what works, unless they get a definitive answer with these two Marvel movies coming out just a couple months apart. Uh, the data may be so overwhelming that it, it guides what they're going to do going forward. But in the meantime, though, just my own reaction as a fan, I feel comfortable enough going to a theater in... I, I plan on seeing Black Widow in theaters. I And so if I'm ready to go to a theater by July, then 
hopefully everything continues to you know trend in the, in the right direction with the state of the pandemic. I believe I'll be ready to go to theaters for Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings in September. And I am excited about that. I, I don't know that movies need to be exclusive in theaters, but if that's how a studio is going to get the best return on their investment, then I certainly don't blame them for it. And then for my experience as a fan, I'm looking forward to Marvel opening nights with a crowd that's really excited to see this latest Marvel movie, just like I am really excited to see this latest chapter of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So I'm looking forward to that experience. And having some theatrical exclusivity certainly plays into the idea of it being an even bigger event, which Marvel movies just are. So I do like the idea of some theatrical exclusivity. I don't know where it all ends up. 45 days, if, if this is the new window, or if it expands a little bit, or if it collapses a little bit, whatever the case may be, you know, I'm, I'm happy to just see what happens and, and roll with it as this marketplace develops and we see what exactly is going to work for these studios. But from my own experience as a fan, I like the idea of being able to go see this movie in theaters as I would anyway with Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings. And then 45 days later, I mean, I'll probably see it a few times in theaters, but then 45 days later, I'm getting it on Disney Plus. And they didn't say that. They didn't say it would go to directly it would go directly to Disney Plus after the 45 days, but I'm presuming that that's what's going to happen. And that leads into another thing that I've talked about for years now on the Patreon, but uh, bears repeating here. What's also missing in this equation, if movies are going straight from theaters to Disney Plus or whatever their studio's streaming platform is, is it shows that nobody's really that interested in preserving their individual movie sales and rentals outside of their streaming platform, meaning the Blu-ray copy of Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings, because unless you're a sucker like me who buys your you know Best Buy exclusive 4K steelbooks to put on a shelf, even though you never take them off of that shelf, you just like looking at them there. So if you're a sucker like me who does that, you'll keep buying your individual Marvel movies. But if you don't fall into that category of being the collector, then you're probably not going to buy individual movies anymore because you won't have to. If you're going to have a brand new Marvel movie in theaters and then 45 days later, it's going to be on Disney Plus and you can access it there and you're not a stickler for having physical media, which for all the people who are very passionate about physical media, including you, Paul, most people just are not. Um, so that's another way we see the industry evolving is that individual media sales, whether it's physical or digital, are going away as everybody just as the market prefers a, you know, a subscription uh, method where you're able to have access to an entire library. And obviously the studios are embracing that and feeding their libraries by going directly from theaters to their streaming platform. So that's another interesting development uh, from this Shang-Chi news. Yeah, I, you know, for me, I, I don't really know where, again, where, where are things going to go and where, where are people going to, with, with Shang-Chi and, and everything, it's just for me, I just hope that they're, they're able to, and meaning Disney and Marvel, just give every, something for everyone and give, even though like, yes, physical media is, is definitely at this point going away. I just don't, I also don't know if, if like that's a smart thing to do because again, I, I don't know. I just, you know, give people, get, it's not a huge market, but there's going to be some money made from it. I, I think. And still, I mean, I still see movies being sold 
I, I, you know, constantly. I see. I think see. I see things sold out at Target movies. You know, movies in general and whatnot. So, I don't know. It, it's it really does. It really depends. You know, and I think that like it physical media will. will it's a whole different conversation. But regardless, is I I do think you're right that the whole the window of 45 days. What exactly that will mean, and what the results will be. And you're right. Like I guess 90 days. You know, and, and the how much they make after it, it, it doesn't really, it doesn't really make sense when you compare what it could power the, uh, the subscription service and, and right. everything. So like that makes total sense. And I just, yeah, it's, it's very, I mean, this next, basically the next two years are going to be fascinating for the movie industry mm-hmm. and entertainment industry, because it's going to, it's going to basically it's, it's, it's already changed, but it's like, we're going to get, it's going to be like changed, like we're going to see the new normal as far as that goes, but it's not going to be an immediate thing. It's going to take a while to figure it out. And obviously movies like the Marvel films and the star Wars films and the, you know, DC films and everything. It's going to, that those are, are, are fortunately or unfortunately going to dictate how they're going to address films in general. And, you know, I just hope that there's, it kind of helps out everybody. Cause you know, people like me, I love going to the theater, experiencing it. You know, I love having physical media for a number of different reasons, not just because I love collecting, because I think it gives a, a better product overall than streaming. Um, but at the same time, everyone, you know, as long as they're they're able to kind of give, you know, and it makes sense for them financially to give a little bit of everything to everybody, it just it makes sense, you know. But what exactly the, is the most return? You know, I, at this point, Sean, I mean, I'm even wondering, like, do they even need to make movies? You know, it could just be all literally just like like long form TV shows, because I've talked on uh, here before that, you know, the medium of film is a short amount of time. Right. Like we're talking like, you know, two what, maybe four hours at the absolute Mm -hmm. max, maybe four. So think of, you know, for those who might this might trigger some people, Snyder Cut or Lord of the Rings films or Hobbit films or whatever. Like think of those as like the longest you could tell uh, as a movie as like as the that medium but then think of things like wandavision and falcon winter soldier and the mandalorian like that to me is like is that the future of quote-unquote filmmaking is just instead of being a short amount of time and trying to compact everything in a nice you know bow which again that's an art form in and of itself right but is that going to be going away now? And we're just going to go to a, you know, more serialized format of weekly storytelling. That's going to be shorter instead of like 22 episodes, like agents of shield of like, well, we need an episode of, you know, fill the season. Why don't you have Daisy go get trapped underneath a, a rock? And then someone has to save her for like 20 minutes. You know I mean? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like those things are gone. So what does that mean? So if the theaters are like, if there's less theater, people going to the theater and watching these big budget things, and it's all about that, the the streaming services, that's what it's going to turn into. The Obi-Wan Kenobi series is a six episode limited series. But the beauty of it is we don't know how long the episodes are. They could be 35 minutes. They could be 22 minutes. I mean, we have, and that's the thing. That's why I think it's so fascinating about uh, the streaming services and where they could go with this with these these IPs like Marvel and Star Wars or whatever is because they don't like every episode doesn't have to be the same as right. far as the length. There are no rules it, with streaming exactly, and that's the yeah that's definitely the advantage of the storytelling is 
you get to decide whenever you want, uh, based on what's right for a story, how long a given episode is, how many episodes it is, which, of course, the total runtime of the story. So that is definitely something that we've seen Disney embrace for Star Wars and for Marvel. And there's no question. I mean, I think streaming is going to be if it isn't already. I mean, it is already at this point. It's the dominant form of entertainment, I I think, or at least for filmed entertainment. And I don't know that there's any going back for any going back from that. But I do think there will still be a place for the movie format, specifically for things like Marvel, because there's no question. I mean, all due respect to WandaVision and the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and they definitely had some, you know, movie level sequences as far as, you know, the action and the epic scope of it, but there's nothing in WandaVision or the Falcon and the Winter Soldier that's competing with the biggest action sequences in Marvel movies. I mean, and I'm not even trying to be unfair and say there's nothing that compares to the final battle in Avengers Endgame. Obviously, nothing compares to the final battle in Avengers Endgame, and the action sequences, as far as the scope, the scale of them in most of the Marvel movies that we're going to see going forward, they're not going to, they can't be at the end game level every time. Cause if they're all, if they're, if they try to build them up to that level every single time, then they'll never feel, none of them will ever really feel as special as they should. So I'm not saying everything has to be on the end game level, but even on the level of the bigger action set pieces that you would expect in a Marvel film, I don't think the Disney plus series are really competing with that. And I still think you want to see that heightened level of epic storytelling as great as WandaVision and the Falcon Winter Soldier are. And I'm not, it's not a better or worse sort of thing. It's not that one is the way it should be and one is, is not. They're both great and they should both exist, but they're different. And I, I think they satisfy different needs for the audience. And so that's all just to say that there's still a place for both. And I, I think that movies will continue to go. I mean, Marvel's certainly planning on that. They're making a bunch of movies. It's not like they decided, oh, let's uh, let's scrap production on these things because we're just going to do series now. I think they're going to keep doing both. Now, they, these are for-profit ventures. So sure, if movies prove to not really be lucrative going forward, we could see the scales tip a little bit. and we could And we could certainly see a time where Disney and and of course Marvel is part of Disney where they make fewer movies and more series. We could see that eventually, but for right now, Marvel's making I mean it it's skewed because of the pandemic and nothing came out sure. for for a couple years, but we see Marvel making even more movies and and planning to release more movies in a given year than they ever have before. I mean, they're going to be up to 4 movies a year and they never did that during the Infinity Saga. So uh, we just see more and more Marvel in movie format and in series format, and I'm just here to watch and happily consume all of it. And then as far as the, you know, just one last bit on that uh, physical media point and individual sales, there's still going to be a place for it. I think that's... And same thing for theaters and and everything else. It doesn't mean Mm. these things go away. And I think that's part of what what bogs down the conversation about these things is it always becomes binary. It's going to be this or that. And and two things can't be true at the same time. Well, that's not true. (laughs) Things can't, (laughs) multiple things can be true at the same time. There can be a successful 
theatrical business. There can be a successful streaming business. And even for physical media, even though it's not, it doesn't play as big of a factor in the marketplace that it once did, there's still a there's still a big enough market for it. And so when you have something that maybe becomes a more specialized interest, you serve that specialized interest. And so the people who want it maybe get things that are even better, that are even improve the collectability of it or being able to you know consume the physical media in that experience. And obviously, yeah, watching physical media to streaming, you're not watching a, a compressed thing over the internet. So yeah, physical media is going to be superior visually. I don't know if it's enough of an upgrade for most people to care about it. It doesn't seem to be, but there's still a market for people who really care about it. And I think there's still enough of a market for studios to serve. And then in an even bigger sense for theaters, I don't think this stuff is is going away. And if anything, this is a great sign for Disney trying to boost theaters up once again to, you know, for all the talk that, you know, studios don't care about theaters or studios are abandoning theaters or, or that stuff. It, it's not happening. Disney is taking a real shot at an exclusive theatrical run with Free Guy, but to an even greater extent, Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings in September. And so I'm excited that they are making that attempt. I look forward to watching Shang-Chi in theaters probably several times over the course of 45 days and then watching it again on Disney+. Plus. So very excited about, uh, about this development. And then to just continue to see how it evolves from here and what it is. And as you said, recognizing the new normal, here's the thing. We won't know what the new normal is until a few months after it's been established because we'll have to recognize what the trend has been and that something has mm-hmm. actually solidified as a trend, as a new trend in the industry. But it's going to take a while for us to get to that. In the meantime, I'm just happy to watch the MCU whenever and wherever new chapters are made available to me. Speaking of Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings, we have additional news about that film and another Marvel movie, Eternals, or potential news anyway. So the CCTV6 China Movie Channel aired a list of upcoming MCU films, and the trades picked up on this because as they were listing all the movies coming up for the MCU in Phase 4, they left out Two of the movies that are among the first to come out, because we have Black Widow, and then we have Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings and Eternals. Well, those two movies, Shang-Chi and Eternals, were left off of that list. Now, it's important to recognize that just because Disney and Marvel make a movie, that doesn't mean it gets to be released in China. Everything that's going to be released in China, especially if it's an import, it has to be, if they're you know an import from the U.S., has to be approved to be released in China. And so now there's some thought that there are challenges facing each of these films. Starting with Shang-Chi, there's worry about, you know, historically with this character, there are certainly harmful stereotype, uh, stereotypes that were portrayed in Shang-Chi comic books, like the character Fu Manchu, who does not exist in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and will not exist in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But still, there's some thought that maybe... Uh, People are waiting to see the depictions of Chinese culture in the film before it's going to be approved for release. And then Eternals seems like it might face an even bigger hurdle potentially because it seems that director Chloe Zhao was recently blacklisted in China. There was no coverage in China's state-run media of her Oscar wins for Nomadland and the movie's not going to be played there. And it it was seemingly in response to criticisms she had made of China in an interview from 2013 that had uh, that had of course resurfaced. 
it's hard not to see that as censorship and spot the many problems within that. As far as whether or not these things are going to ultimately prevent Eternals or Shang-Chi from playing in theaters, I anticipate that we are going to see these movies being released in China. I don't think I understand where these concerns are coming from. And I also understand the observation that you're putting out a list of MCU movies and you leave out these two movies that are among the first theoretically that would be released. I think ultimately these movies will make it into China and, and audiences there will be able to see these films. Disney does a lot of business in China, and so I feel like that's probably going to win out and negotiations will happen and these movies will be able to play. I think what I would like to see, though, is for audiences in China to have the choice of seeing these movies. I'm not saying they should go out and see them, but if I want for them to be able to have the, the choice to consume this media or not, but you know, to at least have the option in front of them is what I hope uh, audiences in China have with each of these films. Yeah, I, I'm not going to pretend to know and understand everything about China and their censoring as far as you know what that goes and, but it is a big deal in a sense to where obviously that they China is a big market. They're the second biggest, if not you know. Well, the biggest I, right I, now. Or well, yeah, well, there you go. See, this is how much I don't know as far as box office does. Well, I always depend on you to inform me, Sean. I'm as much as I'm like the audience. I'm like I'm listening. Like, okay, okay. Um, but I obviously it's it's a it's a big deal, and it sucks for a movie like Shang Chi to not be able to you know to for those people to enjoy something that I think that's totally like aim, you know aimed for them, and it's going to be awesome, and everyone can you know get a different sense of culture through Shang Chi. Just unfortunate that they would you know for reasons of censoring of, you know, someone's free speech to, to do that. And amongst other things, it's a, it's a bit of a bummer. Um, obviously for besides to say money, you know, financial standpoint, but right. Yeah. It, it, it sucks. I, I hate hearing when, when China takes things away and says, you know, no, we can't have this movie or whatever, but, but yeah, I, I think that it, it will be unfortunate and it'll, hold, it'll be a huge, it will not be good for Marvel films and Disney, especially in the in the, in the wake of the pandemic of what have, they have to deal with regarding that. So, it is a uh, it's unfortunate, and hopefully it gets rectified. Probably won't, but we'll see. I think it will actually work out. I mean, even a lot of the coverage about that seems to feel like the odds are still in favor of both of these movies being released in China. That mm. these are issues that can be resolved. I mean, certainly if, if Shang-Chi has harmful depictions of Chinese culture and feeds into stereotypes like some of the comic books did, then yeah, it probably doesn't deserve to be released in China or anywhere for, for that matter. But if the movie does uh, a, a great job in, in that respect and is honest and respectful in, in its portrayal of Chinese culture, which by the way, it's, it's not like there gets to be one definitive opinion on that from any one specific movie. But if it is responsible in how it treats its characters and, and the cultural inspirations behind the story, then I think it's going to be released in China. And I think there would be audiences in China that would, would at least like to have the option to see it. Eternals, I don't know what would happen if this apparent blacklisting of Chloe Zhao is going to continue or not. It's certainly not deserved for Chloe Zhao to not have 
her history, I mean, being from China and not having the success she's had with Nomadland be able to be celebrated there or even covered there, I don't really think that's okay. Uh, and certainly don't think that her work uh, should be censored and, and not be available to audiences in China. But I don't think it's going to get to that point. I do think that audiences in China will ultimately have the option of whether or not they want to see Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings or whether or not they want to see Eternals. I believe they're going to have that choice and they absolutely should. The Another piece of news that we're going to talk about, not so much about movie releases, but we're going to go back to the future of, back to the future, of, which is a favorite franchise of Marvel Studios president and chief creative officer of all things Marvel, Kevin Feige, because Variety posted an article this week that was about, it was a much bigger article about all sorts of things going on with the leadership transition at the Walt Disney Company, because as we know, last year they made the transition for Bob Iger, transitioning out of the role of CEO. He became executive chairman, and then Bob Chapek succeeded Iger as CEO. Chapek is still in that role, and through the end of the year, Bob Iger is still serving as executive chairman, so he is still part of the Walt Disney Company through the end of the year, but he is leaving, as it was announced when they made the CEO transition, that he was going to stay on as executive chairman through the end of 2021, and then that was going to be it. So the past year and a few months has been all about that transition. And so, of course, as with any transition, some things run smoothly, some things do not. And so the Variety article was about a lot of different things with leadership shakeups and changes and restructuring within the Walt Disney Company. But one thing that seemed to be a constant was that everybody really likes Kevin Feige. So with expectations of various executive changes uh, around the, the organization, Kevin Feige is viewed as the most essential of the major studio executives that Disney has. And I mean, obviously, like, of course he is, just based on his track record. Nobody's got one that really compares to his, especially over the past 13 years with the success of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So essentially, Kevin Feige is going to be left to do what he thinks is best with Marvel. And there's really nobody who has any better judgment of what to do with Marvel Studios than Kevin Feige does. So there doesn't really seem to be any concern that any of these new leadership, uh, that any of this restructuring is going to have a negative impact on Marvel Studios or as if there's going to be people putting their hands in and, and trying to influence things that they shouldn't or just for the sake of being able to mix things up. Essentially, nobody wants to mess with what's working and the MCU is working better than anything creatively at the Walt Disney Company, especially in terms of its consistency uh, creatively and the consistency of its financial success. But one of the things that I don't know that it's really been any more than speculation, of which we have totally been part of it, but there's been plenty of speculation that one day Kevin Feige would not just work with Marvel, but expand his influence into that galaxy far, far away and perhaps take on a role with Lucasfilm and maybe help guide Star Wars in the way that he has guided Marvel. And that speculation was fueled by, of course, the news from, gosh, that was already a couple years ago now, but news that Kevin Feige is actually producing a Star Wars movie and that just fed into that speculation that one day Kevin Feige will, may, perhaps while still running Marvel, 
would also start running things for Star Wars. According to insiders who spoke with Variety, that doesn't seem like it's on. That doesn't seem like something that's going to happen anytime soon. Feige is fully committed to his Marvel duties and has no ambition to lead Lucasfilm or take more of a role. What do you think about that, Paul? Well, we, and again, we definitely feel it because I think it's one. It's interesting to talk about because we, as you know, I mean, you're you're the biggest Feige fan I know, and. And rightfully so. I mean, he's, I, I love Kevin Feige. And I would, he's one of those people I legitimately would love to sit in a room and talk to. And not because I'm like, oh, my God. It's like I, I find him fascinating in a sense to where what his process is. And I just want to pick his brain more from the comic book aspect. Like, because you even said, like, he's not a hardcore comic book fan. He's a movie guy. But he obviously knows comics well enough and what works about these characters. So he has to have a love in there somewhere. So... I would love just from that standpoint to pick his brain. He just seems like a really genuinely decent guy and a smart guy. Um, so obviously when he gets, you know, tapped to do something he loves like Star Wars and a passion project, that that's what it seemed like, <clears throat> or that's what it seems like now. At the time, things were a little bit more in turmoil as far as Star Wars was was, because I don't think the Mandalorian had come out by then. Um, there, at least maybe, I don't remember when exactly this was, but I think Benioff and Weiss had just left the project. Lots and lots of different things going on. So at the time, yeah, we, there was a lot of uncertainty around Lucasfilm as a whole. And the Mandalorian didn't really come in and kind of settle things in yet. Um, and the sequel trilogy hadn't ended yet. And so I, I think, um, I'm pretty sure that's what happened. So with all that said, Yes, it's easy for us back then to kind of speculate and see. But then what happened later on? He became head of all of Marvel, essentially. Mm -hmm. So he's got his, you know, and and again, forgive me, I'm not really familiar with the restructuring as far as that goes. Um, so it sounds like he's still in charge of Marvel. Oh, yeah, he is. So the restructuring as far as it related to his oversight of Marvel is that he has, because he's not like the CEO of Marvel. That's still a job that exists for Ike Perlmutter. I just don't know what he does exactly right now. So only. you have Kevin Feige's role, though. He is in charge of all things creative for Marvel. So there's still people who are in charge of like publishing operations and stuff like sure. that with comic books. But what he gained as far as his influence in, in what his oversight, I mean, he already had oversight of the movies, and then he gained all of television, not just the Disney Plus stuff, although that's going to be most of it going forward. But he picked up all of television and, and also comic books. He's still creative for comic books, rolls up to Kevin Feige. We just haven't really seen the comic book thing is going to be interesting. I don't think we've seen it yet. I honestly yeah. don't think that Kevin Feige has had an opportunity to really weigh in on that because I think that he was... Just getting a handle on, I think the television transition was the first thing to do, while also still doing all the stuff he does on the movie side, focusing on the television transition, and then just a handful of months into that television transition, what happened? The pandemic. And so then there's all this other stuff to work out as far as reshuffling schedules and production and distribution of all this stuff. He's having to worry about all of those things, which I'm sure ate into the time that maybe he would have spent focusing on comics, which is not to say that he hasn't focused on it at all. I just don't know that he's had a chance to weigh in on it that much. And it's also not, in the grand scheme of things, revenue-wise, comic books are not what Disney Plus is, and they're not what the movies are. So 
there's no question that it's, it's not going to be as high up on the priority list. But that was Kevin Feige just getting creative control over pretty much all the places that in, in the mediums in which Marvel is telling stories. And when that happened, though, I, I did think that that kind of delayed things potentially for him taking on a bigger role with Star Wars. I've long thought that he would eventually do that. And the reasons behind that have been his own very passionate fandom of Star Wars. He loves Star Wars. So I figured the interest would be there. And then also the desire on the part of the Walt Disney Company would be there. Like, let's take this guy who's done all this with Marvel and has been so successful with it. And he just so happens to love Star Wars. If he's up for it, let's have him do that too. And it still might happen. But I figured that even if that possibility exists, it's something that would get put on the back burner for a while anyway, because once he gained all this additional authority and creative control over Marvel, like he had to he had to solidify that first. So that was where I, I thought as far as where things were going to go with Kevin Feige is he would establish himself, reestablish himself in this new role first, this expanded role within Marvel. And then once he has a handle on that, and also has people who can he can ha- kind of hand things off to and delegate a little bit more day to day at Marvel, then he might be able to uh, expand his focus and you know pr- and divide his attention a little bit and place it elsewhere. Uh, in the case of Star Wars, but uh, a transition like that isn't going to be imminent. It's not something that's going to happen within the next couple years or next few years. But who knows what happens later on down the line after. You know, five, six more years of creating hits in theaters and on streaming for Marvel, maybe Kevin Feige does feel like he wants to try something else. But if he is creatively and professionally satisfied and fulfilled with everything he's doing with Marvel and and that's where he wants to keep all of his focus, then I'm good with that because I I think that there are other people who can help out with Star Wars. And, And meanwhile, I don't mind Kevin Feige being fully focused on on Marvel because he's doing such uh, great work there. Yeah. So with all, everything said, I, you know, I don't know. I it, it definitely seems like they've downplayed it as far as like and then you could make a great point, Sean, is that we don't know what's going to happen. We definitely didn't predict he'd be in charge of creative of Marvel, you know, and, it, and like kind of what you said, it's like, um, you know, Perlmutter's job is 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 CEO right now at the moment, but that doesn't seem like it's going to be. It's only there by name only. Definitely, they've they've definitely stripped him of any power he had as far as his voice. Um, at least from that this standpoint. Uh, for me, I think that Kevin Feige is like you made a great another great point. You know, if he's satisfied, you know, financially and from a creative standpoint, which at this point it's going to be probably all creative, you know, as far as satisfying from a job standpoint, mm-hmm. what makes him happy? I mean, yeah. he's going to be able to make his, you know, there's no question. Uh, the dude's got enough money to never have to work. So exactly. It's yeah. going to be about what keeps him interested and engaged throughout his day. Yeah. So with all that said, it, who knows? Um, you know, but I, I do think that. What the, the one thing that Marvel offers him that I don't think Star Wars could is the vast amounts of and, and this is and this is not obviously those who know me know I'm a giant Star Wars fan. Love it. Um, but there's a lot more there's less you're less put in a box. Yes. In, in Marvel. 
than you are in Star Wars. Now, again, there is as, no WandaVision in Star Wars. It, yeah, you can't tell those. You can't use the, the types of stories you can tell exactly. You can tell more things in Marvel than Star Wars. Now, again, there's but Star Wars has a reverence and a mythology that is all very a lot more cohesive than a, than a Marvel. Marvel is just a as we all know, different universes and it's, you know, it's just kind of, it's got a lot of things to it where star Wars is a little more compact and there are advantages to both. It definitely feels like Kevin Feige has a lot more of versatility with a Marvel than he would with a star Wars. And I think that's why I tend to think that he'll probably stick with star Wars unless star Wars, or excuse me with Marvel, unless star Wars just goes down the tubes. Like it's just like, it becomes a complete wreck of itself. And like, we're not talking like a, a part of fandom where it's like, we hate everything Star Wars does now. Like we're talking like the numbers reflect it. Like we're talking straight up. Everything is 100% obvious. You can't spin it either way. It is like, it's, it's down. Like no one cares about it. Like it's masters of a universe level as, as far as, and I love masters, but it's like not to that. It's like gone to that down that ray where it's not even in, in the hint of the eye of the mainstream audience. If, if it's headed that way, then yeah, then maybe they bring in Kevin to like for a hail Mary, be like, Oh my God, save this. But star Wars isn't even near going that direction. And, and again, I think star Wars has some great things coming up in it that I'm very excited about. And I don't think they, it, they need a Kevin. And again, and like I said, Kevin has a lot going on right now in Marvel. I mean, and I think like you said, Sean, we haven't seen the reflection of Marvel, or him running Marvel from a creative standpoint as the comic books yet. And that's what I'm really fascinated about because what does that mean to have? And again, and, and I, I eventually will have a comic binge YouTube, uh, like video where I'm going to be talking about this at some point, but it, I, I'm almost like an oxymoron at this point, uh, Sean, because I I'm in the middle of this idea that comic books, the comic book medium is like the minor leagues of like Hollywood. And I say that because, as of, at this point anyway, comic books are being optioned for oh, yeah. movies, Netflix, and it's just like. But I don't know if I like that completely because it's intellectual it, it, property development for sure. And but it bums me out because I think the mediums. I just I don't want. Well, I don't want to have happen as these every. I don't want every comic book to be made to try to be a minor league intellectual property either. I want. I want people to make things because they're inspired. God damn it. You know, I don't want. Well, like, I think they will. And I, I think that's where somebody like Kevin Feige would be valuable in that, because I don't think that Feige would be all that interested in just write comic books that fit the things we already do in the MCU. I think he likes the idea of things being more experimental. I mean, part of what inspired WandaVision, not in terms of the plot, but at least in terms of some of the visuals was Tom King's vision run yeah, and yeah. Feige responding to that. And that doesn't come from a, a perspective of, even though, yeah, in effect, it helped develop the IP for a high profile streaming, uh, high profile streaming series. And that's great. But I also think that the only reason it was as good as it was is because it was more experimental. And I think that, Knowing the way, knowing Feige's track record, like after everything they had done in the Infinity Saga and the tremendous success, that this was an idea that Feige had of let's combine sitcoms with the MCU and, and have a sitcom reality within the MCU in this thing called WandaVision. You know, that idea came from him, which points to the idea of 
he himself it likes to be experimental creatively. And I think he yeah. wants Marvel to do that. And I think he'll want Marvel to do that on every level. I think he would I, I think Kevin Feige is genuine enough as a creative person that not that I know the guy, we don't hang out. But just based on his track record, I think he's the type of person who likes to be, who really likes to do different things. And, and I think he really wants to expand the idea of what Marvel storytelling can be on every level, on in movies, streaming slash television, comic books. I think he's in favor of expanding that. If for no other reason than if they weren't doing that, he would get bored and want to leave. So I, I think I feel good about that. I, and I know that effectively comic books, yeah, serve as intellectual property development. And if you approach that from a soulless uh, perspective, not saying you're soulless, Paul, if the if the company sure. approaches that like, oh, this is just where we you know, throw ideas on the wall and we see what sticks uh, so we can make a movie out of it. If you approach it from that in a, in a very disingenuous sort of business only type of way without respecting the power of the storytelling, then, yeah, that's what you'll end up with. You'll end up with a lot of uninspired comic book stories that don't do much uh, to inspire stories on bigger platforms as far as the level right. of mainstream awareness. So I think that's something that Feige is smart enough to recognize and understand that even though this may ultimately serve a purpose of being intellectual property development, it can only serve that role effectively if it's satisfying its own creative storytelling right. needs as far as serving an audience. So that is where I have some level of, of comfort with, you know, the way things are trending for comic books, at least yeah. on uh, at least on the Marvel side of things. But and yeah, see, and that's what I was going to say was I'm an oxymoron because I from an, from like out from more of an independent comic book creation, I, I I don't I worry about it because I don't want these writers to be like, well, I'm just gonna, you know. And again, I I, I want it to come from a very inspired t place, but when it's weird because when I think of it from the Marvel standpoint, you brought everything that I I agree with because with Marvel with, with these built-in intellectual properties that you already we already know and 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 like have you know feelings on whatever comic story or movie or TV show or whatever. The nice thing with having him in control of this is that he can tell these writers like, yeah, go crazy. Like, or he can tell them we want to try this kind of idea. And let's be real. If you're not familiar with how comic books work, as far as from this, from the Marvel side, a lot of it's, you know, I, I've heard a Marvel editor on an interview recently. He said it best. Like they are essentially the ones in charge of these characters the, the editors are the ones, you know, controlling the story for the most part, uh, maybe not so much now with, with Kevin kind of being involved in the creative side of it, but the editors were the stewards of these characters as mm -hmm. far as like, you know, what goes, what doesn't go. And they're, cause they're the ones in charge of the sales and they're the ones that have to answer the, the head honcho and the writers will just pitch the ideas or the editor will come to a writer and say, we want to tell a story. Are you interested? Et cetera, et cetera. Both things can happen. And what's fascinating about this idea we're talking about, what Kevin can now do is say, you know, he could come to the, you know, to the editors and say, listen, we're thinking, we're, we've been brainstorming, I've been, you know, me and my creative people at Marvel Studios, we're brainstorming some ideas. We just want to see what it would look like fleshed out to an audience and how people respond to. Is that necessarily something that like, I'd be like, is fully inspired? Maybe not, but at the same time, 
I like the idea of trying things out and having writers have their own spin on it and take on it and see where they could go. And I like the idea that they're trying different, they have different ideas and inspirations are trying to, you know, give these characters. And that's where I feel that comic books for Marvel aside, it actually works to their advantage instead of whereas like for me, if I'm like, let's say a Mark Millar, right? He just had uh, Jupiter's, uh, uh, whatever it's called. Um, Legacy. Legacy. Could not, I want to say Jupiter's Circle. That's a different thing. Um, but Jupiter's Legacy, I just read the first volume and I thought it was fantastic. And it's just bummer. It's a bummer because I'm like, did he make this to be like, I mean, it was seven years ago, but I'm like, did he make this to try to sell like kick ass or was this, was this a legitimate idea that he was like, I have to, you know what I mean? Like, it just, I just don't want everything to be sold to like Netflix to be, you know, or these, these great comic book writers to be like, and again, I don't want to be grudging for making a living, but like. I don't know. It's just, it's a weird, it's, I feel I'm very much like in the middle of it because with Marvel and DC, I'm like, yeah, it, ma- it makes more sense from their standpoint, from a corporation standpoint. So I don't know. I, I, I admit that I am like an oxymoron in that and I'm contradicting myself, but with Marvel, like you said, I 100% agree. I think that could actually work to their advantage and tell even gr- better stories than what they're doing now. When you have someone like who's creative who's in full control of like the creative side of the company who's not just a it's not making me millions of dollars and get the hell out of here like Perlmutter was like kevin can let things breathe and that is the biggest thing in anything creative that i think anyone who's out there who's creative can understand where i'm coming from if you allow any creative person to have some you know time to breathe and have work on whatever they're doing and develop things the more time you develop most of the time you have more time to you get it right and make it a good product. So I think with Kevin in control of creative in Marvel, it's only going to make, I think him more interested in staying with Marvel, in my opinion. Then again, who knows, but that at at this point, that's where it seems like in my opinion. Yeah. I don't really think that there's much of a danger of Kevin Feige ever leaving Marvel completely. Like that's not the way that's not the direction I see any of this really ever going. I only see it as Kevin Feige eventually continuing to move up within the organization at Disney. And it just means more things get folded into his responsibilities where Marvel is there, maybe not as much on a day-to-day level, but I think you have people at Marvel Studios within the Marvel Studios parliament like Nate Moore who might be able to succeed Kevin Feige as far as more of the day-to-day of Marvel if Feige were to have an expanded uh, influence at Disney and and expanded responsibilities beyond Marvel, if that's something that Feige is interested in long-term, not right now, but long-term, if that's something he wants to do, then certainly I could see Star Wars uh, being part of that for Feige. We know his interest is there, at least in the subject matter of Star Wars, and and maybe he would look at it and say, I mean, we talk about, well, Star Wars, you're a little more boxed in. Well, maybe that's going to change, and maybe that needs to change to an extent. I mean, Taika Waititi is going to make a Star Wars movie. I don't think he's just going to make what everyone else has made as far as what a Star Wars movie can be. So I think that's going to expand the definition of what a Star Wars movie can be, and and I think Kevin Feige would be interested in that as well, potentially. And, and of course, when we're talking about Star Wars where a lot of this came from is you know, things happening at the same time. You know, Feige's rise within Disney as the leader of Marvel Studios and just rise across like all of Hollywood with the success that the MCU has enjoyed, thanks in large part to him, not solely to him, because he's always happy to 
give credit to so many other people who have helped make this happen, but obviously he's been the leader of it. And so you've had his rise in the industry, and then at the same time, a lot of the criticisms of Star Wars over the past few years in the Disney era, some valid, some not, but there's been criticisms of you know not necessarily having a central vision, particularly in the instance of the sequel trilogy. And I'm not here to rehash any of those debates, just to acknowledge the existence of those debates and feeling like what's missing is a central creative vision and thematic through line in these current products. And so that means we're these current projects. And who's the guy who's been the best at that historically? Well, that's Kevin Feige. So he must be the guy for Star Wars. But the truth is he doesn't necessarily have to be. I mean, one thing is... Disney doesn't want to mess with what's working as far and and Marvel is the biggest thing they've got going with all due respect to Star Wars. Marvel is the thing that is really the driving creative engine within Disney right now. And so I, I think they don't want to mess with that. They don't want to they don't want to take him away from that and then have Marvel be less successful than it's been. And there's other people at Star Wars. I mean, Dave Filoni and John Favreau have been a pretty great team so far, and maybe that's something that you look at with Star Wars leadership in conjunction with Kathleen Kennedy, or if she moves on after her current contract is up, then there's other people that maybe they look at Favreau, Filoni, and, and perhaps others to maybe lead Star Wars. And, and look, Feige still works for the company. So that's the other thing is it's not like Kevin Feige has to have a formal role within Star Wars yeah. for a buddy of his, John Favreau, or, you know, through, a, so, or, and, and maybe Feige's, pals with Filoni by now, I don't know. But to be like, hey, Kevin, uh, do you mind taking a look at this and telling us what you think? You know, and, and just having th that sort of informal, you know, note process, like that stuff happens all the time. So, and I'm not saying it happens all the time with Feige, but it's not an uncommon thing within the industry for people to, for filmmakers to have friends who also happen to be very, uh, you know, great filmmakers and producers, writers, directors, whatever their role may be, to have, uh, you know, some really, really great uh, creative minded friends to be able to look at what you're doing and provide you some honest and valuable feedback to what you're doing. So there's still ways for Kevin Feige to have informal influence over Star Wars. And then if his role expands with that one day, I could still see it happening, as I said, long term. But once he took on this expanded role within Marvel, that filled up his plate. I mean, it was already full and then like added the second plate and the dessert plate and everything else. So he's got more than enough to take up all of his time with Marvel. But as he settles into that and I think probably continues his success with everything they're doing with the expanded role, with movies continuing, but having even more movies than they've ever made with Disney Plus series and continuing to do even more and more of those. And then whatever he does uh, in the realm of comic books, I think eventually he's going to get a handle on all of those things and develop other people who also have a handle on that, who can maybe take over more of that day to day if he wants to expand his interest within the Walt Disney Company. I could see it happening long term, but it's not imminent as uh, indicated by this Variety report, which isn't surprising based on the way that Feige's role within Marvel expanded a year and a half ago. So last thing we want to talk about, one quick note of when we might see something on Disney Plus, although I will preface this by saying this still is not an official announcement from Disney, 
But Entertainment Weekly posted a summer television slash streaming preview this week. And during that preview, they mentioned that the Marvel Studios animated series, the first ever Marvel Studios animated series, What If, is going to be released in August or premiere in August on Disney+. Plus. This sounds about right because the only thing we've heard officially from Disney or Marvel is that it would premiere in the summer of 2021. Well, August qualifies as summer 2021, so that makes sense. And we also know that we are going to have Loki starting in June and continuing into July. And we're also going to have Black Widow on Disney Plus in July, in addition to being in theaters. So you don't really need What If to premiere in July. So if it's still going to be in summer, August makes sense. We're still waiting for an official date from Disney, but... It makes sense to me, Paul, that What If would premiere in August. And for my schedule, that works out just fine. Because if I've got Loki and Black Widow to cover us in the MCU for July, then August in in What If sounds perfect. Yeah, I I love the spacing, to be quite honest. I mean, right now, I'm just digging the hell out of Bad Batch. And, you know, Loki's coming right around the corner. So, I mean, there is... I love the spacing. It's just enough to get me riled up for the next set, uh, set and I'm ready. So, and and what if's going to be really fun, man? Because I I love the fact they're they're venturing the what if with animations, different. And I'm just I again I love 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 the line of of what if stuff. So yeah, give give it to me. I love the comics. I can't wait for the, the animated. They they totally nailed the themes and everything as what the feeling of those comics with those what they what, what they're doing here. So I can't wait to watch it. Yeah, the little sizzle or trailer, whatever you want to call it, that they released for Disney Investor Day looked awesome. So yeah, I'm all about what if, and I mean, I'm all about the MCU in general, let's be real. But <laughs> what if I'm very excited about, and and yeah, like I, while there's that part of me that says, like, give me everything right now, I can't wait to see it. No, space it out. Uh, space it out, because it, it's just, it's so great to just, pretty much always have, I mean, almost every week this year, like to, to have something to look forward to on Disney Plus. And then certainly with Marvel, you know, a little bit of a break, I mean, spoiled, right, to go pretty much back to back with WandaVision and the Falcon Winter Soldier. So we got this break for Loki, but, you know, while Loki is still going on, we're going to get Black Widow. And so we'll be continuing to enjoy Loki and enjoying Black Widow in July. And then it'll it probably won't be until the fall, you know, September at the earliest that we're going to get the next one, which I think is going to be Miss Marvel, which wrapped production recently. And then Hawkeye is still supposed to be out this year as well. But it's going to be a little while before we get those. So if they can kind of evenly space out, you know, the end of Loki and the beginning of the next live action Disney Plus series, and if What If can be somewhere in the middle, that would be really exciting. And I do hope, I know it's going to be 10 episodes I feel like the episodes are going to be short-ish. I, I don't think they're going to be... I don't even expect them to be full-on, like, half-hour-long episodes, unless it's, like, two 15-minute episodes that they count as one half-hour episode. I hope they space it out, because I know some of the things they've done, particularly in animation, they've done just... Uh, they've done whole series drops on Disney+. Plus. It's not typical, but they have done things like that on Disney+, Plus, and so... I hope for what if it continues to be a weekly release format. Now, maybe too short, like, because I think, I don't know how long these episodes are, but if they are on the shorter side, then maybe do two episodes a week or two install or and count that as one episode, however they want to structure it. Um, but I do hope they space it out so we get at least, 
if it's not going to be 10 weeks of what if, at least five weeks of what if, uh, just to hold us over and, you know, give us new little pieces to enjoy each week uh, and then just shorten the amount of time between the end of what if and the beginning of Miss Marvel, presumably, uh, or, or Hawkeye, if that ends up being the one that's next. But I, I think it'll be Miss Marvel. But yeah, August for what if sounds perfect. And um, while I, I can't wait to see the show, I will actually be happy to wait until August and uh, have Loki and Black Widow occupy our Marvel attention between now and then. Uh, but that is going to wrap up this edition of the show. Before we get out of here, though, some folks to thank. Thank you very much to Khalil B., Jaron uh, S., and Jonathan W. They are some of the latest patrons getting access to exclusive podcasts at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber. That's S-E-A-N-G-E-R-B-E-R. Or you can just hit the link in our show notes. Because on Patreon, we have access to exclusive podcasts like Patreon Credit Scenes, where we'll be talking about the trailer for Venom, Let There Be Carnage. We also have exclusive podcasts like the Marvelous Moments series where I break down some of the best and most iconic scenes in the history of the MCU. Most recently did an episode breaking down the snap from Avengers Infinity War. So all of that and more is available at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber. And then make sure you're following us in all those places you can at MCU Fan Show on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. Paul, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter at Herman22 with two N's, a.k.a. P-Thug. Also, please subscribe and like all my videos because you all love me. Uh, the Comic Binge YouTube, please. Uh, I just did a live stream with my buddy Dan Brooks uh, about Masters of the Universe. We're talking about the new Revelation uh, animated series that's coming, or sh- movie, if you will, uh, in July. And also all things Motu. So check that out. Also, the saga continues. We'll do a live, or not live stream, but a podcast episode um, reviewing the last three episodes of The Bad Batch. So check those out uh, when they hit ne- or that out next week. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Mr. Sean Gerber. So for Paul, I'm Sean. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.